Welcome to Open Plaza, a podcast created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode, we focus on a topic that matters to you, whether you're in the field, the academy, or the clergy. My name is Stephen Detrolio Coakley, and today we bring to you a conversation between Matilde Moros, Niomi de Anda, and Jacqueline Hidalgo about chisme and its cultural importance. For more information about today's talk, go to htiopenplaza.org. Hello, I'm Dr. Matilde Moros, and I teach women's studies at Virginia Commonwealth University. And I'm Naomi Danda, and with the Hispanic Theological Initiative Consortium, I am a mentor this year. And I'm excited to participate in this conversation because uh, Dr. Danda, uh, 10 years ago, Dr. Danda published a landmark essay for me on Chisme in the Journal of Hispanic Latino Theology. I have taught it to my students in Latina Latino Studies classes at Williams over the years, and they love it. They would take an entire course on this topic if they could. So I'm just really excited to get to be part of a conversation between these two brilliant scholars as they work out in conjunto the social, political, and religious roles of chisme for our communities. Thank you, Dr. Hidalgo, and thank you for sharing my work. Chisme has been something that's been intriguing to me, maybe because I just like to chismear, uh, but I also find it so interesting in how we see it just across a broad spectrum of places from, so in the article I talk about it via telenovelas, but you can see it in the news these days, a little bit sadly, maybe we have a little too much fake news, um, and we'll talk some about that and character defamation in this podcast. And you can also see it um, in just in, in society, society at large. And I think for Latinoas, Latina X, it's, it's something that is center, central to our culture. And I actually think, and to our communities, and I actually think that that's because of a number of different reasons of how we come to understand each other and how we come to know. And so I hope we're going to take some time today to talk about that as well. And I'm so grateful for both of you, Dr. Moros and Dr. Hidalgo, because I, you're helping me to work through this as I revisit this theory that I started working on 10 years ago and have kind of put it to a back burner for so long. So it's exciting to me to revisit this and think about it in conjunto. I'm excited to be here in conversation because I only get to see you, both of you, um, on occasions where we are at a gathering. And I know that the first thing we do is check in with each other, that chisme becomes our mode of communication. It's a cultural um, aspect of our language, but it also signifies um, sort of bringing the good news to each other. What have you been up to? How are you doing? How's your life? And that's how we begin our greetings. And yes, it's about exchanging looks and giving each other hugs and kisses, but it really is about, I really want to catch up with you. It's a, it's a form of um, realizing that we never really leave community. So chisme functions that way um, when, when the three of us gather and when we gather with others in our community. Well, and it functions as a way of bringing those who are not with us present to be with us as well, because we very quickly go from how are you to how is so-and-so. It may be a member of your family that uh, 
I have met in the past, or it may be someone we know in common, another scholar, someone else who has worked with us in our communities. And and so I think that's the other piece of it is that it's a way of making present those of us, the yeah, those members of our communities that are not physically present with us at the time. As I was listening to you two, I was thinking it might help our listeners to hear a little bit more about the definition of chisme you're working with, because while I think that as you talked about, it's culturally important. It's a way that we bring the good news to each other, about each other. It's also embodied. It's not just verbal. It's also about bringing those who are not with us into a space together as we exchange this news. Um, I think as you were talking about all of these things, it speaks to a lived experience of chisme, but it's not necessarily the definition most people assume that is there, which tends to be a negative definition. So I thought maybe you could say a little bit more about the definition of chisme you're working with to help people understand why this is so important. So for me, it's not so much that chisme is moralized as a good or a bad thing. I think like most things in life, there are positive and negative aspects to to chisme. Uh, but I think if we look at chisme as if we're looking at our, our communities, at our ways of interacting, at our ways of being in the world through the critical lens of chisme, then it allows us to understand a whole lot of a variety of things that are happening. And among those things, and I am very excited to hear your takes on this, Dr. Moros, but among those things are things like chisme provides demarcations for those who belong within our certain circles of trust. And we, we tend to chismear with the people who we trust the most. Uh, and, and that demarks, therefore, kind of boundaries as well. There's an internal and an external to chisme, um, which again, many times I think that's what gets marked as negative because instead of being seen as what is inclusive and brings people together, it's seen much more as what is exclusive and character uh, defamation or can be seen as character defamation. I think there are different types of chisme. There's chisme as positive news, which we talked about very briefly and checking in and among our network and how we talk with each other. And then, like I said, of character defama defamation, lies, and fake news. But the one I really want to focus on or the one I've been thinking about a whole lot more is that function or chisme, which functions within the realms of knowledge and social systemic creation. So how is it that chisme helps us to create knowledge? And how does chisme also help us to uh, create, form, nuance, bend, break, reestablish social systems and our own social boundaries um, within our communities and outside of our communities? Uh, and so... So that, that's the main large definition of chisme. The other piece of that is that I, I do believe that chisme reveals a sense of human finitude because, and, and that human finitude in the sense that it shows what is missing in social systems or when someone steps outside the boundaries of a social system. So if I show up to work every single day and people know I'm going to show up to work every single day. That's not chisme. Uh, 
if I show up to work and drive my car straight into the building, that's very quickly chisme. And so you're you're wondering what are the um, the, the questions and the boundaries. And I don't think we take the time to reflect upon, well, what goes on then? So that's why I'm using chisme as a tool to help us think about those things and, and give us kind of a critical lens and a way to metacognitively or to think back upon our own actions with one another and within our communities of how is this functioning and what is it giving us by looking at how it is functioning. Um, I, I think along with that and, and my example of the car breaking and or me driving my car into the building, um, it, it upsets our daily expectations and forces us to ask questions about normative behavior, about ethical behavior, about our own ethical systems. I mean, it, it, we... Like I said, it's not like someone tells us, oh, mira que so-and-so went and bought groceries. But if you say, mira, so-and-so went and bought 10 cases of tequila today, and then the next day they bought 30 cases of rum, and okay, that's a whole lot of alcohol, I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm using hyperbole too. Uh, make a point and and then a party and she didn't invite me right or or and then she came and asked me money for money and but she had all this money to buy all of this booze so or or speculation about why people are buying all that right she's in the import export um system or she's starting a new bar and she didn't include us um (laughs) in the new business she's gonna make all the money or and how did she come to know that right so uh, to me what you're explaining with regard to chisme sounds like a very old um, form of oral tradition of including um, those who you know but also um, being able to notice when something is um, not right out of chisme I've also found that if for example one of my tias would find out that something's happening with any one of us then because it's a trusted member of the family that gave whatever news, probably something bad or alarming, then she could pull us aside and, mira, tenemos que hablar in another tone, more sort of uh, counseling, um, you know, mentoring, sharing in that respect. Formative, right. And that's another type of chisme, perhaps, in terms of sharing um, ways of knowledge, how people in the family or in the community or in the friendship group have dealt with these kinds of things, or if there's somebody who um, is always maybe in need of extra attention, then they say, oh, I've had that experience with that family member too, and this is how I did it, and this is if you need my assistance. Or if you are starting a business, don't you know that there are three other people in this community that did that and come, you know, it's, it's, even though it can be something that, signifies that something has gone wrong, it can serve as a corrective as well without being malicious. So it can be malicious, and quite often we see that people think chisme is a malicious telling uh, on somebody or telling a bad something that's made up about someone. But even when you say something about someone else that is not necessarily positive, it can serve as a corrective. So chisme is, I think another way of knowing. It expresses another way of doing community. I think we find chisme not just in the Latinx community, however. 
and um, perhaps it's part of a tradition throughout the world in terms of oral communities, oral traditions, oral ways, and we find it in text in spaces where either through literature or poetry or even scripture, um, where, you know, it's so-and-so said such-and-such about someone or don't tell anyone that I did this. And just the the modes of communication that we recognize as chisme are already ingrained in whatever text because it came from cultures of chisme or oral traditions. And quite often chisme becomes this sort of women's way of knowing, but it can be very much a communal way of knowing. Um, I don't think that we do this just as a group of fellow women. Uh, We do this in our broader community with whoever is sort of trusted. So um, I see chisme as a method of um, communicating that um, I often use as a, when I teach my courses, I call it a counter-narrative. So there's a story that we assume is happening, and then somebody drove their car into the wall. That's a counter-narrative to our daily assumed narrative of what happens in a daily experience. Listeners, voy a chismear only for a minute, which is before we started this podcast, we got into the studio and we were talking a little bit. And what came up is the the way that chisme is often associated with women's ways of knowing, but it is precisely that we see it in other places. I offered that, for instance, most of Paul's letters could be seen as responses to chisme that he's received about communities, and he's responding to that chisme. Uh, Dr. Deanda, you also made an observation about scripture that I thought maybe you could share, and then I'm going to ask a follow-up question. Right. Well, and uh, I have something I want to return to for Dr. Moros and then, but um, I I think about the story of Jesus and the woman at the well and uh, how Jesus just tells the woman, well, I know that you have been with not one, but many men. And I think sometimes when we interpret that or when that is interpreted for us, it is interpreted as some metaphysical way of Jesus's knowing of his divinity. It's a demarcation of his divinity. But I actually think that Jesus knows that because of the town chisme. These are local people and he's heard the news and about who different people are as we get to know them. And so I really think in that story that it's it's chisme that gives Jesus that knowledge, not necessarily a, a somewhat like imposed knowledge that comes directly from some revelation out of the air or from God, but a revelation that people can say, yes, it comes from God, but it comes out of the community. So that's a one thing that I've been thinking about a lot, especially with that story and how I have heard it interpreted and and how usually the woman in that story takes such a fall for being the woman who has been with so many men. Uh, and that, that is actually never interrogated, and that could be a whole different podcast, but um, the, the interrogation of that and how that's not questioned in the story, which makes me want to return to this notion of corrective that Dr. Moros presented. And I, I want to say that 
achievement, I think, functions as a self-corrective, not just for individuals, but also for social systems. I think it's a way that it makes us really question our social systems. And I, I would actually like to push for us to think about that more as a way for it to drive us and for us to be able to reflect further of how do we create social change or how does chisme actually create social change by its functioning just on a very everyday, daily um, mode. And the changes may happen very slowly, but they, they are happening and it doesn't take any kind of huge movement or a huge amount of national or international news, but just these, these very small, distinct ways that slowly form and shape and reshape what we know about how our systems function with and for us and how they don't and how they may fit and they may not fit. And maybe something that used to be chisme is no longer a chisme because it's not such a big deal anymore. I mean, when women wore pants, for example, in my abuelita uh, loved to wear pants, but she was one of a very few women who would wear pants in her generation. And some of the women would say things about it. And that was an issue at one point. But now I think all three of us are wearing pants. So, and, and I don't necessarily question that. I wear them most days. So it, it's just something that I think slowly these things change. And I think chisme plays a role in some of that social correction or social change and helping to change norms for us. So beyond norms, I also think that chisme has functioned as a way of um, almost recreating violence. So if you tell a chisme about someone being involved in the wrong political party or a gang or something that it's not only socially um, questioned, but maybe legally questioned, et cetera, right? You could really hurt someone. It's not just the social norms, right? It's sort of the legal norms as well. But chisme could also be something that, for example, if we continue with the metaphor of what happens in, in, in the biblical narrative with chisme, where we really, the changes in society, we don't see them as quickly, right? It's still a chisme that Jesus was hanging out with the outcasts, right? And that he himself created the chisme by saying, don't tell anyone. Because the first thing that someone's going to do when you tell them don't tell anyone is, you're going to go tell others like you that you trust that this happened, that this experience happened, right? So chisme is, is often thought of as um, something that is so immediate or intimate, mm-hmm. right? But chisme can be much bigger than that. It can have global impact. It right. can have, um, you were talking about the pants and the social norms, but also sort of political perspectives, understandings of sexuality, for example. It could be a chisme that so-and-so was doing whatever, um, you know, and and today that would be seen as something negative. Why are you talking about somebody else's private life? Right. Right? Um, so the, the reasons for chisme, I think, change, and that's what I think you're saying in terms of changing society little by little. But the function of chisme... Um, as being, it can be very extremely, very hurtful or extremely moving us toward change. 
Well, and I think it can do both simultaneously as well. That's part you of know, the issue I, I think there's collateral damage that happens with some of this change, mm-hmm. too. Um, and, and sometimes we regress. So it's not always change for the better. That, and, and I think Cheeseman plays a role in that as well. I think we're being maybe hopeful that it doesn't necessarily continue to serve that function, but that's been part of the function. Right. That... I mean, I think you're both making an important and interesting observation that it's not about the content of chisme. It's about the social role it plays among groups of people both creating a network and contesting the norms of the network they've created, contesting the boundaries, contesting the boundaries of practice. And in that way, of course, chisme is threatening. Of course, it's scary, right? What's interesting to me that you've alluded to, both of you in different ways, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about, why is it that chisme has been so often associated with women or with minoritized communities, subjugated communities in different eras, but especially with women? In the biblical narrative, in the Gospel of Mark, it's the women who carry the chisme of Jesus's potential resurrection, right? Which is not in the Gospel. So why women? Why are women so particularly associated with chisme? I think there's a number of different reasons that women are associated. Um, I I think one of them has actually been a way of making women subservient. So in, in being able to say that women are the ones who primarily or only participate in chisme, then then this is some sort of, and going back to the moralizing, and this is why I'm trying not to moralize chisme, but use it as some other critical lens. Um, but the moralizing of it links it to a negative thing, which then links it to women's ways of communicating and women's ways of knowing and women's ways of socializing as being one negative, but that also meaning women being less than and very easily making the connection to women being subservient because then there are certain dominant systems of knowledge creation and power creation and systemic creation that are valid and are positive and are morally good and there are some that are negative and less than and morally evil and and are sinful and are very quickly then linked to, well, women are inherently evil, less than sinful. And so it's a way to, to create that for women. Uh, I think on the, the other side of that, though, if you flip it, it's just so fascinating to think about if you take that piece away, the moralizing structure of it, and seeing how women are the ones who carry the message or how women are the ones who play the primary role of leadership in X or Y context because of the networks that are being are able to be built and women and people from minoritized communities as well because of this ability and the socialization in oral tradition and the ability to create these networks um, 
and I know as Latino scholars, we, we've been very lucky to have structures like the Hispanic Theological Initiative and some other structures that uh, have brought us together to to build communities. But I think it is also about our own socializations as people from minoritized communities that allow us to use that oral tradition to build the networks and and maintain those networks that have in many ways created some systems of power. And sometimes there are just systems of survival and resistance, but I also think that there are some strong systems of power that come that are created out of that. So I, I know I'm making some really like broad generalizations and connections, but I do think that that's a large part of the role that just looking at chisme helps us to enter into some of these bigger constructions and discussions. Right. I think the chisme on chisme, right, is that is something that people without power do, right, women and other minoritized people. Um, but the true chisme on chisme might be that, that this is the method um, by which people build, like you said, community right. resistance, um, share knowledge in, in multiple ways. Um I think that when I um, when I'm working with students, for example, and I'm giving a history, um, an academic history of the construction of cultural area studies or women gender sexuality studies, we often talk about how these areas began when no one was um, seeing these communities as powerful enough to have valid knowledge to be studied as subjects or objects. <laughs> um, they were uh, objectified when they were studied, but, but quite often they were just erased, not there. And yet these communities were there. And so when mostly scholars from these communities began doing the work, they began by interviewing, by collecting um, you know, songs or um, ways of uh, telling each other things, um, the musicologist and sort of patterns of speech and all these um, academic ways of looking at chisme um, were used. And, and so I think that we have to understand that when we're talking about power and power dynamics, chisme may be the way that subjugated communities speak. Um, and so, you know, in an academic way, People talk about, can the subaltern speak, as Gayatri Spivak asked. And, well, yes, the subaltern has been speaking right, right? <laughs> through chisme. Um, but <laughs> if you're not part of the community, you may never have even heard what what is being told. And I think that is also part of what we're talking about in terms of the, the biblical stories, right, is that it's these people who were outcasts who heard the chisme, right? And in some ways, it only makes sense. To those communities that this could possibly be true right because someone in power would not first of all have had the insider knowledge or be part of the chisme community second they don't need to hear that story right it's not for them this is not good news for them um so in some ways that's what i see when you're saying um that chisme can serve as a powerful means by which we can see society transforming little by little of the hopeful side. Well, and when I teach liberation theology, I tell my students that um, 
it is those who are most affected by the systems of oppression that understand the systems of, the, of oppression the most. And so I think chisme and the way of communicating through chisme allows people to to spend some time to articulate that. What are pieces of how different groups are being marginalized and oppressed and silenced and what are some of the solutions that people have in response to this it's not just about complaining that these structures are so awful but that people when um, different communities and, and this is what I do think ranges much broader than the Latino Latina communities but um, people who have been marginalized oppressed um, historically left out and silenced are, are are thinking about this and and it also places the power back within these people so it's not just about those of us who have academic credentials and live in the world that is attributed to knowledge creation, to creating knowledge, because people reflect and think about their own lives, not just about themselves and their own individuality, but also about the systems and, and what is affecting them around these systems. And so I think going back to the woman who is buying the alcohol so much, uh, you, Dr. Moros quickly jumped to the, well, is she starting a business or is it a party, as Dr. Hidalgo said. And um, and so, and then the next step, uh, well, does she need help or have I been left out? I mean, there's some different pieces of that, but there's definite solutions around what is happening. And, um, and we can see that people are thinking about and creating their own solutions. That is a fabulous note to end on because it really draws us into the social power of, of chisme for people who are not accorded power in broader society. I want to thank both of you, Dr. Moros and Dr. Deanda, for helping us think through this in an oral tradition of practice. Thank you both. Thank Hasta you. luego. Hasta, Hasta luego. luego.